0: Psalm 23, this is the word of the Lord. Let's give it our attention. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Says the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for this word. We pray that through your words you would bring comfort, insight, conviction, even salvation. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is powerful. You promise that it will not return void. And so our confidence is certainly in it, not my words, but your word. so, Lord, I pray that you would carry me by your Holy Spirit to preach nothing more than what's here and that what's here would minister to our hearts deeply. We pray for the sake of your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, I among many of us, struggle with fear and anxiety at different levels. Um, I've talked to many, many people. This is, seems to be um, a struggle of our age. I don't know if that includes you, but it probably does. And so don't we all kind of have our own strategies for handling it, right? So there's personal strategies. Um, some popular ones include uh, fiction. Right, So the beauty of a book is you open up a book and all of a sudden you leave whatever's going on with you and you're transported to a whole other world. Right? So you leave all your troubles behind and you get to experience something else that's much less complicated. Um, there's many, many ways for us to escape. Some people do it with other people. They laugh and they're having a jolly old time when really it's to escape what's going on in their hearts. Now you might be surprised to realize actually churches have a strategy for this. Do you know that churches have a strategy for... So many churches will have a very emotional service, and you come and you just escape everything else, and there's this huge high, and, and, and they really play on emotions, and it's great for that hour, you've just escaped everything. But I don't know if you found like me, as soon as the external stimulation leaves, all those feelings flood back, don't they? It's, it's very short-lived. Um, you might know this with Tylenol with your kids, right what happens when you give tylenol to a kid with a fever just like that they're better well maybe not better but their fever's gone and so it is with our strategies it for a moment it makes us feel better right and but as soon as the tylenol wears off you know the fever's right back so my question for you this morning is there such a thing as antibiotics for the soul right antibiotics they uh, actually address the issue if it's a a um Um, an infection, right? And so, uh, is there something like that? I think Psalm 23 is just that. So that, it's not just that we'll have some great experience this morning, and then we'll all just rush away. It actually can continue to help you. So if you look at page 7, you see the outline. Very simple. The Lord is our shepherd now, verses 1 through 4, and the Lord is our hope for the future. The Lord is our shepherd now, the Lord is our hope for the future. So let's look at that first one. The Lord is our shepherd now. Look at verse 1 again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We'll go through this phrase by phrase. So it begins with the Lord, which is, if you, do you see there in the bulletin as well as your Bible, the Lord is in all caps. Whenever you see that, it means that it's saying Yahweh. This is the personal name of God. This is what he revealed to Moses at the burning bush. It comes from the Hebrew, I am. And so uh, this was so holy that many of the Jews wouldn't even say the name because they thought it was too holy for them to say. They misunderstood God actually wants us to, because it, he's our covenant God. He says, Yahweh is my shepherd. But think about um, who is God? What has God done? What's on his resume? Think about what's on God's resume. So he created the entire universe. He spoke the worlds into being, all life into being. He sustains the whole universe right now. The reason that everything doesn't go spinning apart is because God is sustaining it. So you think a God that big and that we have the audacity to say that God is my shepherd. This would be absolutely sacrilegious if it was not in the Bible. Just let that sink in. For you to, to be so bold, to call the God that created the whole universe, my shepherd. But it is because we know that God is not only the creator, but he's personal. He's very personal. God is our shepherd. It also, it does not say he's the cattle driver, cowboy herding cattle. Right? So cracking a whip over him. Is that what God is like? He's present. A, a cattle driver is present. All right. No. What does a shepherd do? He actually walks with the sheep. Right? That's that's what our God is like. He's very, very personal. But then he says, he doesn't say the Lord is Israel's shepherd. He doesn't say it's of his people's shepherd. He says, my, who wrote this? King David. David was very familiar with this. He was a shepherd for the first part of his life. And so as a shepherd, he knew what that life looked like. And this is as if written from a sheep's point of view. Right? It's a sheep talking about God. He's saying, God's my shepherd. Hey, my my shepherd, he lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me aside still waters. It's interesting when you read it from that point of view, right? It's from, um, David says, let me put myself in the sheep's perspective and looking back at me as the shepherd. And that's what he says that God is to him. But he says, my. Can you say that? Can you say that God is my shepherd? Not just the Christian shepherd. It's very, very personal. Is he your shepherd? Look at the next line. He says, I shall not want. He's talking about provision here. He says, I have no lack. This this sheep has no lack with his shepherd. Verse 2 unpacks it. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So if you know anything about sheep, which I don't, but I've heard that they, they don't sit down to eat. Pretty intuitive. They stand up to eat, right? And they also don't lie down when they're scared, when they're in danger. So what do we know about this sheep? He is both well-fed and he feels safe. So with God, David says, "I feel safe and I have what I need." And it goes on. He says, "Beside still waters." This is this is true in the Old Testament, and the New Testament. Countless times, it says that God will provide for all of your needs. Matthew 6 is one of many. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, which we all easily do, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is your life not more than food and your body more than clothing? Do we really believe that God will provide for all of our needs? You can. Whatever makes you anxious, God, will, God can provide for. Now He might not provide for all of our wants, but He provides for all of our needs. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This is talking about contentment. This sheep is content. I'm not always content, but this sheep is content. He's laying down. He's very happy with his shepherd. Verse 3. He restores my soul. So what happens in restoration? You you can restore old furniture. Um, You can restore an old house. Well, basically, the house was great when they built it. It went downhill, and then they restored it, right? That's the imply. Whenever you're restoring something, it's declined. Does your soul need restoring? If so, and God is an, a specialist in restorations, meticulous attention to detail. He's saying he restores my soul. Often our souls need restoring. And we go so many other places, which is our nature. And so this is a plea to go to our shepherd. He leads me in paths of righteousness. That could be translated uh, right paths. And if you were a sheep, that would be true, right? Shepherds don't lead their sheep into righteousness, right? They lead them into right paths. And so to good grass, to safe places, not where there are any wolves, right? Is there a difference between those? I imagine in your mind you don't put those together. A path of righteousness in a good, safe, nice place. The reality is they're the same. Do you realize that? Righteousness is just the right path. It is the the place you'll be most content, most happy. Isn't that interesting? We think of righteousness as something that's religious. But it's actually the thing that will make us the happiest. We'll be most content. But then look at this next line. If you had thought this was all about you, the the sheep, he says, for whose namesake? For his namesake. This is a theme through all the Bible. It's not about me. It's not about you. It is primarily focused on God. He is worthy of our worship. And you want a God that doesn't make us the center of it, but a God that's worthy of worship. He's doing all this as our shepherd for His namesake. For His namesake. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That first part, even though I walk. What happened to the green pasture? Now we're in the valley of the shadow of death. There are many Christians who think that if they are good enough and they, they um, obey the rules and do whatever's right, that they will have green pastures. And if there's a problem, they must be out of God's will. That's not true. Can you, do you see from this passage? Does he say that um, my shepherd keeps me away from the valley of the shadow of death. No. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, so he is in the shadow of death. And he says, I will fear no evil because God's with me. Now, kids, you know, a shadow means that whatever the shadow is of is about to be there, right? Because shadows follow very closely. Right? And so if you, around a corner, see the shadow of a bully, what do you know about to, who's about to come around the corner? The bully. Right? And so, As soon as you see the shadow, you start getting nervous. Or you could see the shadow of your parents if you're not doing what you're supposed to be. Oh no, I'm about to get in trouble. So when the shadow follows close by, what's the shadow here? What's the picture? It says the shadow is of death, the thing that most people most greatly fear. Death. Do we have to fear death? Not if you're a Christian. Not if you're a Christian. The greatest, the shadow of the greatest possible thing, you do not have to fear if you're a Christian. But that also includes every other shadow. If you've ever had a doctor tell you, we need to biopsy that, you are in the shadow, oftentimes, of cancer. That is a scary moment, isn't it? Until you get those results, you are in the shadow of something that is very scary to you. There's many other shadows, not just bullies. You name it. Think about for a second. What, What makes you anxious? And the shadow of that thing, I think that thing might just be coming around the corner. And in that moment, what does he say? What comfort does our shepherd give? He says, I will not fear. Why? It's right there. It says, for you are with me. Is God with you? It says it here. No matter what you're in the shadow of, God is with you. For you are with me. When I was a kid, um, I had on my wall, I'm um, a poem, i would not been through seminary yet, <laughs> and uh, footprints. If you've ever seen that old poem, and uh, I'm, I'm not um, attesting to the, any theology in it, or having dreams, any of that. But nonetheless, as a kid, it brought me comfort. If you aren't familiar with it, it's this poem of a guy having a dream, he's walking with God on the beach, and I know that's a little odd, and he sees two sets of footprints, his and God's. But he looks back, and the, the, it's his whole life on the beach. And then the point, his hardest point, there's only one set of footprints. And he said, God, why did you abandon me in my greatest times of need? And God said, I was carrying you. Okay, so <clears throat> set all that aside. What is biblical, absolutely biblical, is that God will carry you. God will carry you. In your hardest times, your shepherd carries Is that not what a shepherd does? When his sheep is hurt? He carries it. The Lord will carry you. We have comfort no matter what the shadow is. Not because of each other, ourselves, or what's in us. You know this. This is why you're anxious. You would not be anxious if you actually were as confident as you present. Everything's fine. The reason we have anxiety, it gives away our hearts. We are scared. And so in that... You should not turn to, I've got it together. You should turn to this, which says, you are with me. This has brought great comfort to many, many saints. You're with me. Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never, never leave you nor forsake you. is that a wonderful promise? That God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I ask again, is he your shepherd? He's not the shepherd of everyone. He's the shepherd of his sheep. And we'll come back to who those are in a few moments. This is a wonderful promise. Then it goes on. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So a shepherd would have a rod to beat off the predators and then a staff to grab the sheep and keep out of danger. And so God has a rod to beat off everything. So what hurts you is if, if God had hairs on the back of his neck, they would stand up. If you were in danger and he has his rod clenched in his fist to protect you, moms, you know this. How do you feel if one of your kids is in danger? The reason you feel that way is because you are made in the image of God. Because God feels that way. You care so much about your children. You would do anything to protect your children. Because you were made in the image of God, and God is that way. God is that way. And I'm thankful that he is. So both he protects us, but he also leads us with his staff, which we saw in verse 3. He leads us in paths of righteousness. We all need a shepherd to be led. Your little kids know this. They say, "Tay, they want, they want you to hold their hand. Eventually, they stop wanting that, Right? As a Christian, you should never stop wanting that. You should always want Jesus to hold you by the hand. And we do this when we get scared. If we're his sheep. Okay, so you might not realize there's actually two metaphors in Psalm 23. Now, some argue that there's only one. I'm going to take the position that there's two. Uh, and that brings us to our second point. Look at verse 5. And I think the metaphors changed some. So secondly, the Lord is our hope for the future. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is a metaphor of someone making a feast. But why is the, are the enemies there? This is a victory feast. So they've defeated the enemies and then now they can have a feast because they're celebrating victory over the enemies. That's the picture we have here. Now in this day, you might wonder about anointing your head with oil. Kids, you ever want your mom to pour olive oil on your head? No. But in the Middle East, they couldn't take showers often. And so they would, at a, um, at a feast, the host would pour oil on their head, often mixed with perfume. And in a dusty place, that you can't take showers. It cools and refreshes. Such so the picture. This is of a great feast. My cup overflows. There's plenty to drink to go around. There's abundance. There's abundance. Now, How are we to understand the meaning of this? I think you look at verse 6 and it helps. The first part says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. How many? All the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord how long? Forever. So I think there's two time frames here. The near term and eternity. Do you see the first half of the verse? Do you see the near term? All the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house, of the Lord, forever. That's eternity. So you have these two time frames. Let's look at each. So the first half. Surely goodness and mercy. Mercy is the same word there. It's often translated uh, steadfast love. It's hesed in Hebrew. So it's uh, God's covenant love. You remember recently we talked about Abraham? Uh, if you weren't here, I'll quickly tell you. Uh, God made a covenant with Abraham. He cuts animals apart. I'm not going to get into it. But the person that goes between it is the person that's binding in the covenant. If I don't keep the covenant, then let me be cut apart like the animals. And so who goes through it but God alone? Abraham doesn't go through it. That's how God makes covenants. The covenant of Abraham still stands. The reason that his steadfast mercy, his steadfast love follows us is because he's bound himself to his people in an unbreakable covenant. That should be really encouraging to you. That God, the living God, who created the whole universe, has bound himself to you in an unbreakable covenant. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You think of Joshua. Yes, Joshua was before this was written, but Joshua before the great wall of Jericho. And he's thinking, yes, I want a table in the presence of my enemies. You think of um, Martin Luther. Before his Roman Catholic accusers, he would like a table before him in the presence of his enemies. Did God give it to them? Yes. Yes. Remember the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Remember Martin Luther. He is, his life was preserved. He didn't die that day. A table. So oftentimes God delivers you from trials. This is the customary experience of Christians. But you might argue against me if you know your Bible well. Hey, what about Acts 7? That guy Stephen? I didn't turn out so well. He actually got stoned. What happened to the table before his enemies? Yeah, Peter at least in Acts 12. He got away. Angel came and delivered him out of prison. Poor Stephen. How can this verse be true? This is very helpful to understand. I think if you were to go right now and ask Stephen up in heaven, I think he would argue against you and say, no, this verse was still true for me. How could this verse be true for Stephen? Think about it for a moment. How is this verse still true for Stephen? I think because he would say, I did get out of it. The stoning was no fun. I agree with that. But I got out of it. I was immediately... You know, Peter, that guy had to go back and suffer a whole lot more. I was immediately delivered from all of my suffering and I was taken to Jesus. I think you'd have a different perspective than we look at things. Indeed, You can have confidence and His goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is true. So do you see these two time frames? And you see this, this feast picture that the Lord is our hope. Hope is unbelievably helpful. Hope for the future, even if present circumstances are not good. Hope that God actually has good in store, that he will have mercy in the future. That is very encouraging in difficult times. And a confidence that forever I will be with God in heaven. Okay, so let's step back for a second. This psalm is in the Old Testament. Okay, so put yourself in the mind of an Old Testament Jew. What does an Old Testament Jew know about God? Well, we know about his power. Remember the manna, he did miraculously fed them, wall of Jericho, uh, getting him out of Egypt. They saw the powerful hand of God, right? He had done lots of big things. And so then they had to believe by faith that that God they could not see was their shepherd, right? So that's where we are if we're an Old Testament Jew. Okay, so fast forward to the New Testament. What changes? Does anything change when you get to the New Testament? Yes, yeah, something really big. The unthinkable happens. The incarnation. Kids, what are you going to celebrate next month? Christmas. Jesus, God, came to earth. His name was Jesus. Right? The second person in the Trinity was here. He walked with the disciples on the dusty roads. Right? He, remember John, it says that he like leaned his head after the meal Jesus was leaning back and and John rests his weary head on the chest of Jesus. On the chest of God. God was his shepherd. Jesus said in John 10, he said, I am the good shepherd, he said. Not me, but him. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Now doesn't that change the whole paradigm? When this was written, there was no incarnation yet. Jesus came. He was a shepherd. He was a real man. He really walked with his disciples. That should bring you great comfort. But again, you argue and say, yeah, but he's not here anymore. After the ascension, he didn't stick around. He headed back to heaven. Well, here's a response for that. Jesus said this in John 16, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the Helper, the Helper you is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Because the thing is, when Jesus was here, even if he was still here, he's only in one place. Unless you happen to be in the Middle East, you don't have a a chest to lean your head on. Does that make sense? But the Holy Spirit comes into every believer. Every single believer has God living in them. The Spirit of Christ, the shepherd, living in them. That should be very encouraging. It should be very encouraging. But I ask you again, is Jesus your shepherd? How can you know? How can you know if Jesus is your shepherd? Just think about that for a second. How can you know? Right now, how do you know? If I were to ask you right now, how do you know that Jesus is your shepherd, what would you say? Just think for a moment. I think one way you can know if Jesus is your shepherd is you would do the same thing that any sheep does. When they're anxious, when they're in danger, who do they run to? Their shepherd. Do you run to Jesus in great times of need? Do you run to Jesus in great times of need? It's one of the simplest ways to know. Is he the one? Is he the one that you go to for comfort? If he's not, you have to ask yourself, is he really my shepherd? Does that make sense? If a sheep is not of the shepherd, of course he's not going to go to that shepherd when he's scared. But if he is, and if you run to him, he is there for you. He's there for you. So reviewing again, Old Testament had a God that was unseen the New Testament, we had a Jesus physically here, and now we have the Holy, Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have the best point in redemptive history. In, the whole, in any option you could have, this is the best point in history to live. That you actually have God with you, in you, dwelling with you. He has made his home in our hearts. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged. God is with you and in you. No trial you ever face will ever outdo God's attentive care for you. This is so much better than Tylenol. This doesn't wear off. Yes, you'll still feel anxious again. What does the doctor say when he gives you antibiotics? He says, take the whole prescription. Don't just stop when you feel better, right? Isn't that what he says? So here's my challenge to you, Hope Community Church. My challenge is to you to read Psalm 23 for the next 14 days. That's two weeks. That's about what your antibiotic prescription would be. Read this psalm. This psalm has done me great, great good. And I guarantee it will do you well. It will do better than anything else you turn to. No novel, nothing else that you could turn to to try to find comfort. This will not leave you when you stop reading it because it is real. This is true. I am not making this up. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is your shepherd? And he's with you right now. I hope you do. And if, he, if that is true of you, you can find great comfort in that. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you, that you are a good shepherd. Lord, I thank you that I've, I haven't oversold you at all. If anything, I've undersold you. Lord, I pray that we individually, we as a church, would turn to you as our good shepherd. Lord, thank you that you have never failed your people, that your track record has been perfect through all of history. Lord, I pray both for the children and the adults, the visitors, everyone. And particularly, Lord, if there's anyone here who realizes that maybe you aren't their shepherd, may today be the day that you become their shepherd. May they ask you to pay for their sins on the cross and they would have you to run to every time they're anxious and scared. Lord, and for those of us that you are, Lord, thank you. We are unworthy to be your sheep. There is nothing worthy in us. Thank you for choosing to make us your sheep. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.